I'm so glad that we can make promises to God and He hears the promises that we make. Time and time again, we've all made a promise. And time and time again, we have all fallen short of that promise. But I thank God that when He makes a promise, He never backs off. He never fails. He never forgets the promises that He's made. And we stand upon that promise this morning that He's coming again for His church, for His people, for a prepared people in a prepared place is where we're going. If we know Christ as Lord and Savior, so wonderful to serve a God who makes promises that He keeps. It's so wonderful to serve a God who loves us enough that He died on the cross of Calvary for your sin and for mine. He took my place. He took my bruises. He took my stripes. He took my thorns. He, he shed my blood in my place. We serve a God who will not fail us. We've been going through the glorious book of John, John's Gospel. And the events that we're about to look at this morning, they took place following Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. We've been talking about the Samaritan woman for the past couple of Sundays, and we're, and we're about to wrap it up here. But really the focus moves from the Samaritan woman to the village of Sychar, which is a Samaritan village. The woman was first emphasized very strongly about her lifestyle, the choices that she made, the immoral lifestyle that she lived. We're not even given her name. Have you ever thought about that? We just know that she was a woman at the well. We know that she was a woman of Samaria. The woman had been married five times, and five times she had been divorced. And the man that she was now with was not her husband. As a result of her immoral life, as a result of her immoral choices, we know that choices have consequences, don't we? Because of the choices that she made, her life became increasingly difficult for her. She was a source of shame in the town of Sychar. The Samaritans, who only accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, they practiced pagan rituals, and even they considered her worthless. Worthless. Have you ever felt worthless? You ever been in a place where you were absolutely worthless to God, so you felt? You felt like there was no purpose for you in this world. You were in this world and couldn't figure out why in the world God would put you in this place because you had done so much and you had made such terrible choices in life. But He's a God that keeps His promises. He keeps His promises even when you don't, even when I don't. But this woman, 
She came to Jacob's well to draw water at a time when no one else would be there. She came at the hottest part of the day. She came to avoid open shame. She came to avoid the ridicule. Oh, how the others would talk. Oh, how the others would whisper about the life that she had lived. After a short conversation with her, the Samaritan woman realized that this man that she met at the well was a different man. There was something different about this man, Jesus. He was like no other man that she had ever spoken with. She never knew a man like him. He revealed things to her that only a prophet, sent of God, would know of her. In an attempt to speak religiously, the woman inquired, was it in Mount Zion in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim in Samaria? Is that the place of worship? Tell us where the place is to worship. Jesus revealed to her that the geography, the geographical location in this mountain or that mountain made no difference in the end. But that worship, true worship, would soon only be from the heart. Our worship in Christ has got to be from the heart. It can't be showing up every Sunday and checking off the boxes and saying, well, I went and did my part. We live for God completely or we don't live for God at all. We follow Him or we're not. There is no one that you can follow if you're not following. It's not possible. The true worshipers will worship the Father as we discovered. Jesus revealed that true worshipers will worship the Father and true worshipers will worship the Father, the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. From the depths of our spirit and from the depths of the truth of God's Word. That's how we worship God truthfully. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not something that we muster up to make us feel better about facing death. But it's down in the core of our being that we know that our Redeemer liveth. It's down in the core of our being that we know that He's got a home prepared for us and He's coming again. And that's certain. And it's true. The true worshipers will follow Him and they'll believe in Him and they'll place all of their trust in Him. Their lives in Him will be full of Him, unwavering with confidence. Now the woman, still misunderstanding just who he was, she was trying to, de to deflect the conversation and she said, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus, who was often unwilling to reveal his deity, he comes right out plainly and says to her, I who speak to you am he. Stand with me, if you will. As we go into the Scriptures,
John 4 and 27. At this point, his disciples came. And they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? For the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish this work. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glorious word. We thank you, Lord, for the, for the encouragement that we receive. Oh, Lord, how many of us is like this Samaritan woman with so much filth and so much luggage and so many skeletons in the closet and so many hidden secrets. Oh, but you are a God of promise. You are a God who is true and faithful. And you forgive. And you came for that purpose, to be the Savior of the world. Lord, we praise you this morning. As we go into your holy word, we, we pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts and minds and reveal to us the revelation of your holy scripture. Reveal to us, Lord, exactly what we need. Lord, feed us this morning our daily bread. Lord, give our souls and our minds contentment in knowing you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there's any among us that are lost and don't know you as their Lord, we pray, Lord, that your word will find its place. That seed will be planted into the heart of that or those individuals. Lord, we praise you this morning. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. When Jesus said the words, I who speak to you am he. The woman, she became so excited, so filled with joy. She had come to the well to fill her water pot. She needed water. But instead, she herself was filled with joy and gladness, a different kind of water, a water that will soothe the soul throughout 
all of life and beyond into the eternal world. He will fill us up when we come to the, to the living water. Reflecting back on John 4 and 27, the disciples didn't disrupt Jesus. They didn't interrupt Jesus and the woman. Their steps were ordered. You see, they came back from the city of Sychar with bread. And this woman came and met Jesus at a time when no one else was around. And just as they began to approach, Jesus told her, I who speak to you am he. He revealed to her his deity. At, at this moment, when his disciples came, it was the, the perfect, divine, and providential time. You see, the disciples' steps were ordered. There, whatever might have held them up in the city of Sychar was to hold them up for that amount of time. However many steps it took to get from Sychar back to the well where Jesus was, those steps were ordered. And that is the way God does all of our life. Every step, every part, every particle of our life is ordered by God. Nothing is a mistake in God's eyes. Everything is bringing us closer and closer to Him. All of our trials, all of our heartache, all of our, all of our failures, and we've all had them, brings us closer to a place of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. These men, they marveled and they were amazed to find the Lord speaking with a woman. Now, this was a breach of social norms, you see. Man wasn't supposed to speak to a woman in public, not even his wife, and certainly not a rabbi. It was against social etiquette for a rabbi to speak with a woman in public. To make matters worse, she was a Samaritan woman. She was an unclean woman because she was a Samaritan in the Jews' eyes. They would have really been stunned if they'd known of her immoral lifestyle, of her immoral background. She'd had five husbands, and she was living with someone else that was not her husband. Yet no one said to her, what do you seek? In other words, what is it you want? Why are you here talking with Jesus? And they certainly didn't ask Jesus, why did you speak with her, the Samaritan woman? In fact, they didn't say a word to start with. It's likely that they were afraid to ask him. They already learned that Jesus was not bound by the expectations, by the expectations of tradition and prejudices of the Jews. For whatever purpose that Jesus might have for speaking with her, the disciples knew that there was a good reason for it. John 4.28 says, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? The reason why, the reason why the woman left her, her water pot is not mentioned in, in Scripture. But we can speculate that she was extremely excited. Perhaps, perhaps she left it behind filled with water for Jesus. She may, have, she may have left it behind to keep her from being hindered. You know, these were big water pots. Just like when they, when they uh, during the wedding that Jesus 
told them, fill the water pots with water. Fill them to the brim. That's, that's about 30 gallons. Fill them with water, and he changed them to wine. Well, this woman had a large water pot. And when Jesus revealed his deity to her, she put the water pot down. She may have thrown it down. I don't know. She may have tossed it in the well. But she left the water pot behind, and she ran back to Sychar. Ran back to the city. When she made it back into the city, her words, her first words to the men, according to the scriptures. Now listen, this is coming from a heart, from the heart of a woman who was so ashamed that she came to the well at the hottest part of the day when no one else would be there so that she would have to face no one else. So she comes into the town, and she comes to the men in boldness, and she said, come and see a man who told me all things that I have done. She believes that he is the Messiah. But she asks the question, this is not the Christ, is it? As though in doubt because she is so amazed at the magnitude of her discovery. This man is like no other. Come and see this man that told me all things that I ever did. She was amazed. And moved by the excitement and urgency, she, she expressed here in John 4.30. This is not the Christ, is it? But John 40 says, they went out of the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, come and eat. The, the, the disciples were, were no doubt weary and hungry themselves. They had made the same 40-mile journey that Jesus had by foot. Can you imagine walking 40 miles in the heat and then coming to the well and having to go into Sychar to get bread and then comes back to where Jesus was at the well? So they were weary too. They were concerned for the moment of meeting their needs. They were hungry. You know how it is sometimes when we're in church and we start getting hungry, we wonder, when is that preacher going to quit preaching? If he would only wrap it up, we can get a burrito wrap, right? Her first thoughts was not of satisfying the cravings of physical appetite. Jesus' great concern for yearning love for poor, sinful men and women is what made him not desire to eat. He says here in John 4, 32, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. You see, he, had, he was delighted as well. What he revealed to this woman changed her life. And he saw it in her eyes. He saw it on her face. He saw it, you know, she had traveled all this way with this, with this water pot. And she didn't even take any water back. She dropped it and ran back to town. He said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Like the Samaritan woman who said in John 4, 90, uh, 4 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You see, she misunderstood. And like the Jews who said in John 2, 20, the Jews said, I, it took 40 
years or 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And again, like Nicodemus asked, how can a man, in John 3, 4, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into, into, into his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? You see, Nicodemus didn't understand the new birth, the physical birth, the spiritual regeneration. And it's completely a soul work of God. But all through the first part of the gospel, and through most of the gospel, men misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood what he was really, really saying. And it's only open to those who are, are open to receive his word. John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Friend, I want you to make no mistake about it. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He said, My food, that which satisfies my hunger, that which satisfies the, the desires that I have, that which satisfies the quenches of my desire, is that I may do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. As followers of Jesus, the word of God nourishes us. The word of God as we study his word, as we pray, and as we gather into his place of worship. The word of God nourishes us. Jesus was about the Father's business. And it was continuously the Father's will rather than his own will. If we could only grasp this this morning, it's all about God's will and not my will or yours. We don't just call him up and tell him what we want. We call out to him and say, Lord, what do you want from me? The time that I have on this earth, what am I to do with it? And we find it in his word. We find it in his word. But Jesus said, my, not my will, but thine. And it was the sacrificial cry, this sacrificial cry, which redeemed the whole world. Not my will, Jesus said, but thine be done. And to teach man to do the will of the Father is the motive that sustained him. And the prayer he put upon human lips was thy will be done. The follower of Jesus ought to be hungry to do God's will. I worry today that that's not the case in the church world today. I want to do the Lord's will, but I always don't do the Lord's will. I desire to do the right thing, but I don't always do the right thing. And I know you're in the same category. You long to be like Jesus, but you fall short. Well, let me give you a little bit of encouragement. That's going to be the case as long as you're in this world. But when you move over into the glory world, you're going to be like him. You're going to be in his presence. You're going to be holy and perfect like him. But the Lord's food was to do the will of God concerning the salvation of this woman and the men of the city. The Lord often used agriculture similitude in his teaching, whether it was fields or he would use soil or he would use seed or he would use planting or he would use watering and so on and so forth. And here Jesus uses harvesting of the field. Now let's see what he was saying to the disciples here in John 4.35. Do you not say there are yet four months 
And then comes the harvest. Behold. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. That they are white for harvest. For farmers, it took about four months time between the end of sowing and the beginning of harvesting. Before harvesting, there, there, there always must be a seed planted. Let's not expect a harvest if, we, if we're not willing to plant a seed. And I'm not talking about money, but I'm talking about planting the gospel. I'm talking about sowing the seed among the thorns, among the rocks, among the, among the places that don't seem fertile at all. Sow the seed. You, you, disciple of Christ, sow the seed. That's your responsibility, just like it's my responsibility. Before harvesting, there must always be a seed planting. Metaphorically speaking, a seed was planted with a Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke with at the well. She ran into town saying, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. Now what, what was it about this stranger that could make a woman who had every reason to be ashamed of her life. What is it about this stranger that would cause her to now speak publicly about her experience and her transparency, her transparency before him? Well, the people came out of town and they were making their way to Jacob's well. They were coming and making their way. They knew there was something about this woman that had changed. They knew there was something about her that excited her. They had never seen that excitement in her eyes before. She had never been uh, that, that open about her, her, uh, any kind of testimony before. They saw a change. And so it is with you and I. When we come to Christ, the first time that we came to Christ, you wanted the whole world to be saved. You wanted everybody to experience what you had experienced. You couldn't explain it. But you know that there was a load lifted off of your shoulder. This woman's invitation proved irresistible. It was irresistible. She herself had sowed a seed and it was irresistible for them. So here they came out of town. They wanted to go see what all of this was about. And perhaps as Jesus said here, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Perhaps if Jesus said this, they could see out in the distance, and here comes the Samaritans. They were approaching from town. They were coming to see this man that told this woman all that she had ever done from, from Jesus' spiritual perspective, the time of harvesting had already arrived. Here, here they come. See them dressed in white. You know, the Samaritans, they would customarily dress in white clothes. And standing there at the, at, at the well and looking out over, over that open space, over the fields, back toward the city of Sychar, here comes these, these, uh, these Samaritans dressed in white. And Jesus says, look upon the fields. They are, the fields are white for harvest. Now keep in mind that 
harvest in Samaria didn't look white. But these people, they were dressed. They would have been dressed in white clothing. John 4 and 36, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, already, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps will rejoice together. That's what we do, church. That's what we do. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. By telling his disciples that the one who, who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, the Lord highlighted their responsibility to participate, your responsibility to participate in the harvesting of souls. Do we really, really care enough to participate in harvesting souls? They would receive their wages, the Scripture says. The reward, the joy of gathering fruit for eternity. These are those that are going to heaven. These are those who are going to, to be born again. And Jesus sees them coming. Don't you know? He rejoiced. The angels rejoiced. We ought to rejoice. In the agricultural realm, if you plant a garden, if it does well, you usually expect to reap the harvest of your labor. But that's often not the case in the spiritual realm, is it? We may preach, we may teach, we may testify, we may witness to for years and years and years into people we love. We may put a whole lot of time into it, but often we may not see the harvest of our labor in this life. But Jesus says, nevertheless, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. As the Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, the Apostle Paul, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the increase or causing the growth. Others like Moses, John the Baptist, and the Apostle John, and Jesus himself had sown the seed over there in Samaria into their heart, into the, into the Samaritan, Samaritan's hearts. Yet the disciples would have the privilege of sharing in the resulting harvest and the reaping of the crop. That the fields are ripe for harvest reminds us that many are ready to receive salvation because others have sown seed into them. What about sowing and reaping that occurs in our own lives? Perhaps you have a parent, a grandparent, an uncle or an aunt, a brother or sister, a co-worker, a pastor, a youth, a youth leader that sowed time and effort into you. The gospel is the seed that's been planted in you, and that's why you're here this morning. You didn't, you didn't come just because you had nowhere else to go. 
You came because there's been a seed planted in you, and you desire to hear from the Lord. You desire to hear His Word. You desire to look up because you know your redemption draweth nigh. You know that His return is imminent, and you want to be ready for when He comes. God oversees the, the, the continual work of planting the seeds of the gospel. I'm glad that He does. And He oversees the reaping of the crops. That the fields are ripe for harvest remind us that many are ready to receive salvation because someone else has sown seed into them. What about sowing and reaping? How are we doing with that in our own life? But then a reaper came along whose gospel message found you right to respond. And you accepted the eternal life message. At the moment of being harvested, we became sowers and reapers. We don't, we don't become saved to sit down and not spread the gospel. We're to all spread the gospel. Our lives ought to be an effort to sow whatever and wherever we're able without charge. You see, there was no financial wages. For, un, for, for financial wages would, win, would, would hinder the gospel of Christ. It was without charge. And you come to Christ without charge. It's free of charge. It's a gift. It's a gift. But rather the converts themselves are the wages in, the, in a spiritual sense. Our, our crown of rejoicing, even you, each individual will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then shall every man have praise of God that has labored. Did you know that? Wow. Verse 39, for that city, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I have done. The scriptures didn't say that all believed, by the way. It says many believed. They believed in him because of the word of the woman. Do you remember the city of Sodom? The city of Sodom? No one received Lot's testimony in that place that was destroyed because of the wickedness that was in it. In Nineveh, from the greatest event to the least of them, repented to the preaching of Jonah. No one. In Athens, only a very small minority received Paul's teaching. But in Sychar, where the Samaritan woman, of all people, this Samaritan woman, she testified and told them all things that I have done. You see, the harvest is ready. So many of the Samaritans believed in him because of her testimony. So verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. The Samaritans, they wanted Jesus to stay with them for a while, so he did. He stayed with them two days. He stayed with them two days, and he taught them, and, and, and he continued before continuing on to Galilee. Now, this was very strange for the Lord to hang around for two days with the whole city answering questions, giving testimony about what has happened in the Old Testament and what is to happen, perhaps the cross of Calvary, perhaps the ascension, who knows what all he revealed to them? But the Bible says that many more believed 
because of his word. Unlike the Jews, you see, the Samaritans, they didn't, they didn't ask to see signs and wonders. The Samaritans didn't have to see signs and wonders. The Jews did. These despised Jews, they received the word with readiness of mind. They were ready. You may know someone today who is ready that needs to hear one more time from you. There's hope for you. Amen? Aren't you glad that God never gives up on anyone? No matter how low, no matter what they've done. Their faith came to rest on something more solid than the woman's testimony. They believed His Word. Do you believe His Word? You know, we're living in a time when many people question the authenticity of His Word. Many today... Uh, are, are enemies of His Word. They try to disprove His Word. It's okay to question God. You know, when we're, when we're young and immature in God's Word, it's natural for us to question God. But when we become mature in the Lord, we won't question Him no more. We believe every jot and tittle of His Holy Word without understanding it all. We believe it all. Verse 42 says, and, there were, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the climatic point of the whole uh, chapter of John. We believe this is indeed the one, the Savior of the world. Praise the Lord. They're hearing and seeing Jesus for, for two days. It confirmed that what the woman said was true. Jesus must have given the Samaritans all the assurance, all of the assurance that they needed. And His holy word, we, you see, we have it. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have the indwelling spirit. We know that all of it's true. We know that He is the Lord of all. What a privilege. That's why we can stand and sing. This is the crown. You know, we only make promises when we make promises to Him. We make promises from the heart. And though we mess up and we make blunders, we make mistakes, God knows our heart. When we ask Him to be Lord of our life, when we say, Lord, I'll follow you no matter what, and when we fail, He's faithful to forgive. He certainly is. He's faithful to forgive. Look at this, John, 1 John 1 and 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the, the truth. Listen, but if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with Him, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to know this morning, maybe you're listening to us on live stream, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, or how many times you've done it, if the Spirit draws you and prompts you to repent from your sin, and you see yourself in need of a Savior, He 
is faithful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now still playing on that song that Michelle sang, this is the promise. The song is the promise. This verse is a promise. And it's simple. Simple. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. It's a cleanse. Never take that lightly. The Bible says that nothing unclean will enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that no sin, none, not one bit, will enter. He tells us to keep our garments clean and pure, without spot or blemish. And it takes the blood, the cleansing blood, from Calvary's flow, the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You feel like you need to be cleaned up? You probably do. If you feel like the Lord is dealing with you, He probably is. If you feel like you're in need of a Savior, there's one available and only one. And his name is Jesus. Stand with us this morning. We're going to get a song this morning.